Welcome, Nexus Church family, to our series titled Connect Here. Now, it will not take you very long to figure out that this series is all about who we are at Nexus Church. However, I realize many of you who are listening today will not attend Nexus Church at any time. You may live in a different country, different city, different state. But I want you to hold on because I believe that this series is for anybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ. Why? Because the church is not a building. It's not a location. It's not a statement of faith or a bunch of rules that we follow. It is people. You make up God's family, the church. And over the course of these nine weeks, we're going to be covering what God's vision is for you. How do you engage in the church? What is, what is it that he wants for you most? Well, we're going to be looking at the pillars of the church, what really makes up the core of who we are as a body. What should that be? It impacts your life because it's how you engage in ministry. And then we're going to talk about the values of, of what it is that we are as a people. What do we value? How do we carry ourselves? What do we, how do we, and what do we do as follower of Jesus. And so my hope is that you can follow along over the course of these nine weeks and, and examine yourself. Take a look. What is it that God is speaking to me? And if you're not part of a church, I encourage you to go to a church that has the same values and pillars in their church so that you can be engaged and grow and develop into who Christ has for you. If you have any questions or ways that you want to get a hold of us, you can go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the ways to connect with us there. And I hope that you enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series Connect Here, where we are examining both our vision, mission, pillars, and our family values. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've examined how our first two pillars look. That being the church. I believe the church is the most important organization on the earth. It is what God has given us to transform lives. You, as we've talked about from the beginning, are the church. You are the most important piece of God's valuable essentials on earth to transform lives. It's you. You are the instruments God has chosen to do this great work. And then last week we talked about our community. 
We looked at the Great Commission, the very first part of the going, and examined what does it mean for you and I, as part of the church family, to go into our community. And that was, of course, we connect with others, go to where people go, we serve people, we love them, and eventually we invite them in to our church family. And now this week, we're going to examine the family. Now, we're not going to look at the church family per se, though most of this can be applied to the church family, but we are going to look at your family. I realize some of you listening, maybe you're too young to have a family, or maybe you're a, a child in a family, or maybe your kids are gone. But I want to make sure at the onset that you understand that even if your biological family is not around anymore, for whatever reason that might be, you can have a family. It's your job to connect to some group somewhere and make that your personal family that you pour into because here it is i believe that as the church one of our primary jobs is to take those people that we went out to get and help them to create healthy families you see i believe and i hope that by the end of this message you too will agree that the family is the foundation of Every community, when the family is healthy, the community is healthy and strong. And so today, we're going to look at how we can reach, develop, and empower the family so that we can impact the world around us, where God has placed us. Whether it's right here in Thief River Falls, Minnesota, where we're at, someplace else in Northwest Minnesota, or beyond. I want to inspire you to help those around you to be strong, whether that's your biological family or your adopted biological family, as the best term I can give for it. So let's dig in. What does the scripture say about this? Well, Psalm 78, 7 is kind of like the, the bedrock passage that I want to dig from today. And it says, so each generation, you are a generation, your kids are a generation, your parents, grandparents, so on. Each generation should set its hope anew on God. Not living off of the old, but setting a new, fresh passion for God. Continues, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Right there, that's the foundation of what we're building off of today. God is very clear in this psalm that we are to pass on this great gift of the knowledge and the power and the transforming elements of a relationship with God upon a life. That's our job, is to pass it on, to make it new and fresh for each generation. Listen to how Jesus put it in Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. I love this passage. It's so good. It's kind of been... Many of the Gospels have it. I know I like to read it from the account of Luke as well. But this has been kind of like my passage that I've just lived off of my whole life. This has kind of been my, if you, if you have a passage that's your life passage, this is mine. I find it both hilarious, sad, and kind of commanding in a way in what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And so here it is. 
parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before they left. Now, it's important to understand that in this time, culturally, and maybe you know this already, but it was, it was not acceptable for kids to be brought to an authority figure, a, a very intelligent, professor-like person. And that's who Jesus was. He was a rabbi, a teacher, a, a higher-up person who only should have spent time with the educated, right? And so the fact that Jesus allowed lepers to come to him, blind people come to him, the socially outcasts come to him, these were all precursors to what transpired here. Parents brought kids to Jesus, and the disciples didn't have time for it. Said, Jesus, you have more important things to do. Jesus said, no, I'm going to care for the children because they aren't just our future. They matter today. Jesus blessed the children. <laughs> he cared for them. But not only did Jesus care for the children, spend time take note, reach down when he should have been too busy. He also empowered them. Listen to John 6, verses 1 through 14, and I'll read it fairly quick, and then I'll make a few comments at the end, because to me, we need to read this whole passage. Even though I'm trying to make one little point from it, I think we need to put ourselves in the context of what was going on. And so, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked us to test them, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would be not enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, so they all sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed of them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had been eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. The disciples panicked. But Jesus saw the boy. And he used what the boy brought. He empowered it. He filled it and distributed it 
to, who knows, 15, 20,000 people. Astounding. You see, Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he used that boy, symbolizing that he wants to use all people. He wants to use children. Whatever they have to bring, he wants to empower. And he does that through the Holy Spirit now. It's not by might nor by power. It is through the Spirit that God moves. Whether it's on an infant, a 9-year-old, 19, or a 90-year-old. God can do whatever he wants. And he chose to use a boy to symbolize the fact that he, he's not too young. Nobody's too young. Nobody's too insignificant for God to use. So he reached down. He empowered what the boy did. And so Jesus commanded us to bless children as well. Matthew 18, 5 through 6 says, And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he would be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoever welcomes. Whoever welcomes one child. He welcomes me. See, Jesus, he gets it. He understands the the depth of the child. He understands the importance of reaching these young people that are around us to develop, to, uh, to pass along what has been given to us in a fresh and new way, as Psalm 78 stated. It's what we've found in research over the years. A seminal work done by George Barna quite a few years ago now, but still it stands. And though the numbers may be a little different now, the percentages might have gone down and how many people have actually followers of Jesus, the percentages still remain. In the time of his writing and his research, he stated that 42 of 100 people will trust in Jesus in his or her life. Right? Now the numbers may have gone down since the study was done. But here's what I want you to take away with today. The numbers state that before the age of 12, 32 of those 42 who have believed in Jesus have already done so. Before the age of 12. Saving faith. A person who gives their life to following Jesus. A whopping 76% will do so before 12. That's what his thorough research brought about. Now, after the age of 12, in their 13 to 18, 19 years of age, another four out of those 42 put their trust in Jesus. That's a whole nine and a half percent, which only leaves six or 14 percent who put their trust, their life into Jesus' hands after a teenager. Only six. Out of 42. I believe that you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, must 
put our time into reaching and developing and empowering our children and helping their parents to have the ability and the resources to do it as well. Because since that research has come out, there's a lot of things done in the church world. If you've been around the church world, you know this especially in kids and youth ministry, about how do, we, how do we reach these kids better? How do we do this? And a lot of research has been done to prove the fact that it is the parents who are truly, solely responsible for their children's faith. So it's up to you and I, as the body of Christ, to help those parents to set an example. And if there is no parents, to be those parents for those kids who don't have it. And so for the rest of our time, I want to help you in understanding how you can help connect your children to Jesus. Because the family is the centerpiece of a community. And when the family is strong, a community is strong. Individuals are strong. A nation is strong. So the first thing that we need to do is to teach. Everything else is based on this that we're going to talk about today. If we don't teach, the kids are not going to understand why they do what they do. We need to explain the why before we get to the do. Here's Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. Very popular passage when it comes to how we need to develop this thing called the family. It says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your heart. Get them inside of you and then inside of your children. Get them in there. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. So how do you teach? Well, get out that Bible read it step one read your word the bible is the word of god given to us know it and teach your kids does that mean you have to be the most intelligent person in the world no you can get a bible app that can help you you can do all sorts of things just get down and read god's word talk about them from the time you wake up in the morning to when you fall in bed at night read memorize scripture with them psalm 119 one says that we are to hide god's word in our heart so that we may fall in line with him obey his truth tie them on your hearts pray with your kids how do you get god inside of a person talk to him i love how mark batterson put it he says it's so Beautiful. One of the greatest responsibilities of parenthood is praying for your kids. But an even greater responsibility is teaching your kids to pray. Give them the opportunity. Now, I haven't done a lot of things well with my kids. But we have memorized scripture and we have encouraged them to pray in public. And that's been freeing for them because it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for most adults to do. And to get them established when they're young helps them to gain that confidence that you're just talking, right? You're just talking to God. There, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Encourage it. Train them and allow them to practice it. 
and explain these truths. Explain them. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train, teach, give them understanding. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be super broad. Just take it one step at a time. One, one morning a week, we just take a piece of Bible and say, what does this mean? And just take it step by step. If you don't know, go to a good Bible commentary and just, this is what this Bible commentary said. What do you think? There's so many good ones out there. If you need more instruction, I'd love to connect with you. It's, it's something that I really believe in and am passionate for. It, it starts there, training. Training and then living out your faith. Notice what, what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6. Before anything else, he said, get it inside of you before you get it inside of anybody else. It's got to come from you. James <laughs> says it so bluntly in, in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, that if we don't have it inside of us, it's dead. Right? If we don't get the truths of what we believe inside of us, what we live out isn't going to be compelling, isn't going to change anybody's life, right? So we need to get it inside of us. David Platt put it this way, our goal in parenting is not ultimately for our kids to get a great education or find a great husband or have a good career. Though those are very important, our goal for them is to love a great God. Do you believe your God is great? Get it inside of you. Get it inside of you. And then lastly, after you've taught your children, after you've lived out that faith so that they can see what it looks like, what does it mean to care for the orphans? And, and you go out and you volunteer at a place where maybe troubled youth hang out. Or you volunteer your time at the school and, and you might not have orphans around you, but you can care for kids who might need somebody to come alongside them and show them something, something that matters to you, that you care about. And when you can model that for your kids, what that looks like to love God and love others, it helps the Bible come to life. Oh, that's what that means. That's what that means. So you teach it. You live it out. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to speak life. Now, this may seem a little off, maybe, <laughs> in, in comparison to what we've talked about. What, what makes a strong family? One that spends time in God's word and prays and, and, and lives out what they believe and then speaks life? This is something that really hits home for me. This has been something that I've struggled with my whole entire life. Uh, no, no qualms against my heritage or my family that I grew up in or anything like that, but the culture that has been passed down through the generations in the Norwegian lifestyle is not one of speaking life. We can make all sorts of excuses for, for why that is. The reality is, is I'd be a lot different if I had somebody speaking life over me. And I want to be just as clear as possible when it comes to your children. This is, I 
hope you really get this today. You can be diligent about teaching God's Word, about living it out well. But if you don't do it in a way that builds them up, if this is a bunch of rules to follow that you have to do for God or you're not good enough, if, if, if your kids don't believe that they matter to you and matter to God, they, they don't believe that God created them with a purpose and loves them and has a plan for them and you are likewise in line with that, there's a high chance they will run from God. They may come back, but if you don't believe in them, if you don't, if you don't help them to understand that God believes in them, it's setting them up for rebellion. Now, I'm not saying that if your kids in rebellion, it would be because of you and it's your fault. I want to be very careful. But I just want to encourage you, because this is something that I really struggle with. That has happened to me, and both I'm still struggling and getting better at it with my own kids. I really fail often when it comes to this, and it's speaking life. And maybe it was, again, the culture I lived in, but there was nothing that was ever good enough. You couldn't do things good enough, and I struggle with my own kids. And helping them to, to feel good enough. That I believe in them. That they're doing a great job. Why? Because we're all humans. And we all have areas of getting better in. And, and my perfection and my, my drive to do things the best. It, it, it spills out to all people. And nothing's ever good enough. Friends, please, please speak life. Speak life. Here's what God's Word says in Colossians 3.21. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Right? Setting up this high standard and this high bar for your kids that they, they're, they're, they're kids. They're not going to reach. Crushes their spirits. Ephesians 6.4, Paul says here, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down too hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. That's the message translation. Man, that is so good. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. What is our Master? Jesus Christ. What did He do with those who failed? He walked with them. Like Peter. Right? You know, Peter, I'm calling you back. You got this. You got this. Again, Mark Batterson put it this way, the right word is spoken at the right time can make an eternal difference. It's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You teach, you model, you show them what God's Word says and how to live it out. But then you build them up and you believe in them. Both sides. Both sides are important. And today I hope you understand that if you are a long ways out from having kids or your kids are... Well, they're grown. This isn't something to beat yourself up over or beat your parents up over. This is reality. We're all humans. We're all fallen. But let me tell you today that placing this as a priority, and this is why it's a pillar for me in our church, by placing a priority, I'm focusing on the family and strengthening it, coming alongside of it, believing in it is so crucial for the health of the church, the community, nation, and our world. Our world would be a lot different place 
if we had people who focused on caring about their families over themselves or other families in this world. So my prayer for you today is that you will just run back to Jesus and you will take your kids with you and you will love them unconditionally and trust that the Holy Spirit will work things out. Trust Him. You stay true to His Word and you stay true to loving them and they are your priority. I believe God will work things out for good. I believe it. And so, Father, I pray for every person listening today, God, that especially for parents who are in the middle of it right now, you will take these words that have spoken and anything that might have discouraged them, God, you, you will push it away. But that they will rise up and they will understand that who is underneath their care right now is the most important thing in their world. That what they speak, what they teach, and what they model is going, to, is going to go beyond anything they could ever do in any other realm. They are the most influential person in their children's life. And nothing else they do in this world will come in even close in comparison to what they do for their kids. They are training up the next generation who will go further and farther than we could ever do. They're going to stand on our shoulders and they're going to expand the kingdom of God in places we never imagined. And so encourage these parents now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Nexus Church Online, if you have any questions, please reach out to us at nexuschurchmn.com and you'll find all the information that you need to connect with us. We'll see you again real soon.